Our reading today comes from Romans chapter 8. Uh, it is, Romans is, is toward the back of the Bible if you're looking it up with us. Um, if it's on a version app, it doesn't matter what part of the Bible it's in. You just look for Romans. Um, but a couple, this is one of the readings that has actually been a part of this week's soap readings. Um, if you're interested in reading the Bible along with us, there's those little bookmarks that you'll see all over for the September readings um, with that acronym SOAP, which stands for Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. One of the trickiest things about reading the Bible is figuring out what to do when you read the Bible, because it's like, okay, I read it, now what? And so uh, SOAP is a process at which you, you notice uh, a bit of Scripture, you notice what is happening, you observe what is happening, uh, you apply it to your life, and then you pray that God would let it be a part of what's going on in your world. All right, this is Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died. Yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who will indeed intercede for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, we're in the second week um, of this series that we're calling When You Believe in God, But. Uh, and I always have to be really careful because I'm a middle schooler at heart, and so I have to remember that this is one T. Um, just so you know this. I, one of the things that we say around here a lot to each other because it's important is that we take Jesus very seriously. We don't take ourselves that seriously. And I do my best to be serious all the time, but it's not really in my nature because— I'm a middle school teacher and a middle school minister at heart, and I do this um, as a service to God because God said this is what I was supposed to do. So thank you for letting me be here and be a part of this community. When you believe in God, but— And the last week we said that the, the believe in God, but we're not—we don't really know him. And we talked a little bit about what does it mean to get to know God and to have this relationship with God um, as a response to what God has done in our lives. But this week, I want to go a little bit a different direction, and I want to ask this question right away. Who is God? Well, when we were little, we learned that God is love. Maybe this is what you learned. This is definitely what I learned about this. God is love. And people would say that to each other. Um, in my life, there are scenarios at which I get to ask people, who do you think God is? Um, and when I ask people who maybe don't know a lot about church or they've sort of been around churches, but that's not really a part of who they are, um, or they didn't know a lot of things. The one thing that almost everybody knows about God is this. God is love, or God is loving, and generally he probably wants me to be good, and he's kind of got a list, and I'm not sure, but I know at the deepest part of who I am, God is love. 
And at some point, if you've been around um, churches or sermons or worship services long enough, you're about to say this, I've heard this sermon before. I know this, Pastor Bob. Why are you going back over this again? And you're going to start to make the grocery list in your mind. You're kind of going, okay, this is what needs to happen when I go to Hornbacher's after I'm done at worship this morning. Um, Not that anybody, that would happen anywhere, but it, it does from time to time. But here's the deal. I think this message is so essential. And here's where I want to go today. There's this reality that it's easier to believe that God loves people than it is to believe that God loves me. It's easier to believe that God loves people as a general idea, this kind of idea. God loves people. God is love, and so God loves people. But there's something about making it personal and making it for us that makes us a little bit nervous. Uh, When I was a a younger man, I was getting ready to go to seminary, and I was sort of finishing up my college years, and I and a couple of friends had gone to a place that served food and also other things um, that I I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about in church, because I don't know how many of you are Norwegians who weren't allowed to play cards when you were little, and I don't know how many of you are modern Americans. It doesn't matter. Um, Sorry. Sometimes I wish I had my words back when I get done. Um, But we were at this establishment, and we were eating, and we had a drink, and I was sitting outside waiting for my friend to bring the car around, and as he did, I found myself sitting next to this person um, uh, who was a woman and who I think was trying to become friends at that point in the time. Maybe you've heard this. And so we start talking, and we we hit up a conversation, and we're talking about some things, and she says, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to become a pastor. And she looks at me, and she goes, I don't go to church. I said, why is that? And she said, because I don't think God loves me. And I went, oh. She goes, I said, you know, God— and I kind of looked at her, and I sat through this, and I thought about it, and in my best pastoral, trying to imagine what a pastor should say, I said, you know, God loves you. She said, no. And she started to make a list that was a little too personal for somebody, something you should share with somebody when you're sitting on a bench outside of a restaurant in that moment. You know, this, this, and this, and this, and this. And she starts to make a list of the disqualifiers that she has, that God probably doesn't love her because of A and B and C. And I looked at her again, and I said, I hear all that, but I'm telling you, God loves you. And she starts to, she gets a little bit angrier with me. She says, absolutely not. I can tell you why. I know why. God doesn't, God does not love me. And I looked at her again, and I said, I said, no, you're not hearing me. God loves you. And she starts crying. I don't know why I have the ability to make people cry, but it happens sometimes. I put my foot in my mouth, and people cry. But she starts to cry, and she gives me this big, giant hug, and then she says, he, he just can't. He just absolutely can't. And I left that conversation realizing this. It's easier to believe that God loves people than it is to believe God loves me because people is a concept, and it is hard to picture people. But I know me, and I know my life, and so I can figure out the disqualifiers of why it is that I don't think that God probably loves me. I have this picture in my mind, and it's a picture. I'll show it to you here in a moment. Phil will show it to you. But it's this picture. There's a church on a hill, and I love this picture, but I think it's kind of how we feel about God because it's beautiful— And it looks 
picturesque, and it looks nice, but it just feels so far away. It just feels like it's so far from where I am, from my everyday life and my everyday reality. And when I'm doing good, I feel comfortable with it being far away. You know, that's, that's fine. God's there, and I'm here, and we've got this relationship because I've done the right thing. But when I'm not doing good, it feels like God is really far off, and I just can't get there. I just can't bridge the gap between where I am and where God is. And the question is this. What on earth would ever convince us that this isn't true? What could possibly convince us that this is not the reality that we're looking for? That God is not that far away? What could convince us of this? In Romans chapter 8, it says chapter 9 on the screen, but it's really chapter 8 because that's what we read. Um, here's, what it, here's what the Apostle Paul writes. He's going to write a little bit about this. He's going he's to say this. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Maybe you've heard this before. This is one of those little things that we say to one another. We kind of go, okay, well, God is for us, so nobody can be against us, right? But that's great as a concept until it comes down to me and where I'm at. And so the question is this, who wrote this? This Romans is a book that is written by a man named Paul. Paul is an apostle. He's a sent one of Jesus. He is sent by Jesus to go out and bring good news to the world. But who is Paul really? You see, Paul's not your model citizen. He doesn't have everything figured out. He's not doing everything right. In fact, when, we, when we're introduced to Paul in the story of Acts, we meet a man who is not, doesn't have any, everything figured out. Instead, he has one job that he does for the Jewish authorities. He goes around, he finds people who believe in Jesus, and he convinces them not to by persuasion, by threat of violence, by putting them in jail, by actual violence. He is the chief persecutor of the followers of Jesus, and he goes around and he says, you're not going to talk about this Jesus in the middle of Jerusalem. It's not going to happen. And if you do, I'm going to throw you in jail, or I'm going to teach you a lesson, or I'm going to bring down the power of the temple upon you, whatever it takes to convince you to say, no, 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 no. That Jesus guy, never heard of him, don't know him, don't want to talk about him. Anything I can do. This is Paul's job when we meet him. And then something happens. Something happens. And he goes from that guy to this guy. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? What can convince somebody that, of that? Here's what it says. Here's what he writes. He writes these simple words. For I am convinced. And he's going to start to make an argument at the end of Romans 8, talking about this. For I am convinced of what God can do. For I am convinced of what God may be doing. What on earth has he been convinced of? And how has he been convinced of this? Here's what he's been convinced of. He starts making a list. I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, 
nor things present, nor things to come, nor angel, or nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation. Now that's a big list. Because if there's something that's going to persuade you, it's going to be rulers or angels, if you see them, or being way up high, or being at an incredible depth, or anything else. What? This is a persuasive list, a list of powerful people and things that would convince most of us to do most things. And Paul says, it's none of this. I'm convinced of something that none of this can touch. He's convinced of something beyond these powers. And he finishes with this. We'll be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, here's the thing. Paul becomes convinced that Jesus loves him which is a really amazing thing because he was the one who was saying, nobody can talk about Jesus. I'm going to get rid of his name from the whole face of the earth. This is going to be it, and I'm going to get rid of him. Nobody's ever going to talk about him again. He's going to go down like one of the other famous teachers who nobody's going to hear from. And then it happens. And then it happens. He's walking along. He's sort of finished his job in Jerusalem, and he's going on his way to Damascus when he sees a light, and and this voice talks to him, and it says, this is Jesus calling. This is Pastor Bob's translation. Hey, Paul, it's Jesus. Stop it. Follow me and tell the whole world. End of story. And then he sends him on his way, and Paul gets some guides, and he goes on to Damascus, and he can't see People show up. They tell him he's going to see. And all of a sudden, Paul has gone from this guy who is convinced that Jesus needs to go away to somebody who is convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Because if anybody has a disqualifier, it's Paul. So let me ask this question. What do you need to be convinced of? What do you need to be convinced of? When I say these words, God loves you, not God loves people. When I say God loves you, is there something in the back of your mind that says, yeah, yeah, but? I believe in God, but. And you finish it up with these words that are going to be our, that are our theme for the day. I believe in God, but I'm not sure he really loves me. I'm not sure that God loves me. I'm not sure what God is doing in the midst of this. When I say this, do you have a disqualifier? Is there something that makes you say, hold on just a minute? Because I think it's essential. Once in a while, in fact, maybe more than once in a while, we need to take a minute and we need to stop and we need to hear these words more than anything else. Nothing, Paul says, can separate us from the love of God. Paul should have had a disqualifier, but instead he is convinced because this God who loves him doesn't stay way far away. Instead, he finds himself way or all the way in the place where Paul is, showing up and saying, I will not leave you here. I am not going to be separated from you. I am coming near, and I will not be far away. And he looks at us, and he says, don't forget that you are beloved children of God as well. Maybe there's something in our past or our present or something we're considering doing that makes us say, but hold on. Something that's happened to us or something that we've chosen, I don't know. 
But if there is a disqualifier in your mind, something that says, but God, you know, I'm not totally sure. I want to say it clearly. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. How can Paul be so sure? How can he be so convinced? Here's what it says in verse 32. He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not also give us everything else? And this is where we always forget. This is where I get lost, and I forget, and I want to say, but hold on. You see, don't forget this reality. God loves the world. God loves people. And God loves you so much that he did not withhold his own son, but gave him for us and said that he will be the sacrifice for us. We forget that God has already made the big sacrifice. Jesus' life has already been given for us. Jesus' life is given for Paul and for Paul's brokenness and sin. Jesus' life is given for my brokenness and sin. Jesus' life is given for your brokenness and for your sin as well. I think the thing we learn from Paul is this. God is simply not content to be the far-off God. The one who lives on the mountain far away and we can't quite get there. For generations, for thousands of years, that's how people saw God as a, as a person who lived in a place that nobody could go. And they looked there and they said, there is God. And how can we find our way to him? But as Eugene Peterson translated uh, the beginning of John, he gave us a picture of what Jesus saw in the world. Here's what, here's what he wrote in, in uh, John 1.14 in the Message Bible. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. God said, You can't seem to find your way to me, so I'm going to come to you. And Jesus shows up in the neighborhood of all of these people in first century Judea and in the midst of us as well. Jesus shows up in a place and says, you are God's beloved children. Never forget, never doubt, never worry. And when you're worried, when you're doubting, when you're not sure, hear these words again. Neither height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. He moves into the neighborhood where you can know him and where you can know that he has come for you and for me. Where you can know without a shadow of a doubt that he loves you. It's not about what you do. It's not about what you say. It's not about where you go or which people you hang out with or what time you go to church or anything like that. The reality is is that God loved the world. And he's calling us to experience what that love feels like. That when we hear these words and we know them, it changes our hearts and it changes our mind because this reality has always been around us. But we can begin to understand that it's for us too. It's an unbelievable thing, and it chokes me up every time I get to talk about this, because we are loved. Would you pray with me? God, we give thanks. 
We give thanks that in the midst of not understanding or knowing why, over and over again, you tell us that we are your children and that you love us and you will never let anything stand in the way of that love. We pray now in the midst of all that's happening that you would remind us that we are your beloved. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And together God's people said, amen.